back to Grit Iron Gamble, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ryan, and I'm joined by two members of the collective, Donnie D.P. Peters and the resident moose himself, Mo Nawara. If there are any sound quality issues, my apologies. I am on location at the WPT Borgata Poker Open, so I don't have my fancy mixer with me and it's probably appropriate that we sound like shit during this recap podcast because after a two and three week two record the collective is officially four five and one in the las vegas super contest which means for the first time in history we're below 500 guys not a good start Nothing. Nothing. How bad would we have done this week? Uh, I thought Donnie was going to say something. Uh, how bad would we have done this week if we did it with the old method? The old method, we would have gone one and four, so at least we got the extra point, and we'd be three, six, and one currently in the super contest. So, so new method. You know, the I'm glad that the the grinding I did over the summer. You you don't you guys have no idea how many Excel spreadsheets I went through to make sure that changing the methods. Made sense. So new method still working out, but a putrid performance so far. Uh, and y- both y'all, zero and four right now combined, zero and two and zero and two. DP, is that why? Is that why you're so quiet right now? Yeah, you know, horrible start to the season. What are you gonna do? But, but, but we're not out of it. Peter Sunshine not, over here. We are not out of it. Listen, listen. In 2013. David Frohart was six eight and one after week three, and he went on to win. Wow! Last year, last year I knew you were gonna you were gonna be surprised by that, but I'm gonna this double down. Great. I'm gonna this double down. Last year, Pops, aka Coffee Maker, aka Damon Graham, the Starbucks barista, after week three, he was eight and seven. He was also thirteen and twelve after week five, and he wow. went on to win. So there is hope. There Donnie is hope. D- Donnie does, does not sound, sound like a man who's 1-8-1 and one right now. No, I am not. Because together, <laughs> the collective is strong. Let's, uh, before we get into uh, bitching and complaining about our own picks specifically, let's take a look at the Super Contest standings. And you guys can do so by going to fantasysupercontest.com. Our friend Yada does an amazing job. Over there, every week you can check out the standings, the consensus picks. He even tweeted this evening that he will start listing the consensus picks in Super Contest Gold. So that might be a great opportunity for you guys out there. You might not be playing in the Super Contest, but you're looking to tail and and make some bets on Sunday. Uh, And Super Contest Gold tends to be sharper than the normal Super Contest. So their consensus picks will be available starting in week three. So check out fantasysupercontest.com for that. There are no undefeated teams remaining in the Super Contest. Incredible with so many entries and only two weeks in the books. There are three teams tied with 9-1 and one records. The Ville, I hope he's from Fayetteville and he's a, a big J. Cole fan. Uh, the Ville, 5-0 and this week, 9-1. and We also have PhD Sports, a perfect 5-0 and in week two and sitting at nine and one and biosoft global which sounds like some kind of pharmaceutical company uh they were perfect 
five and zero last week, four and one this week, and sitting at nine and one. Looking at the weekly record count, the average score this week was two point five seven, so essentially two two and one. So we came in under that, and there were eight hundred and seventy four fellow teams that finished two and three after week two. Uh, Donnie, since you're very positive right now, maybe we can get some more positivity out of you. Um, what, uh, this, this was a bad week, but what do you think in terms of bouncing back? Like, do we need to, I I know, I feel like Brett's going to tell us to start going super contrarian, but like, what should we do to bounce back? Are we, are we still just looking for winners at this point? Or are we just going to start going hella contrarian right away? No, I think we still just look for winners. I mean, it's still super early. You just gotta, you know, these these early these early weeks. Um, I feel like you just have to put points on the board, and then towards the the mid to mid late stages of the of the football season, you know, probably starting around week ten through twelve in there. Um, that's when you gotta gotta put it together and go on a run. I mean, and it's sometimes it's just gonna have to break your way. But if, if you just gotta you got to put points on the board and put yourself in the mix. That way you can go on that run. That way, you know, if we get too contrarian right now, we start doing things a little bit too crazy. Even if we do hit a run in, you know, around weeks 10 through 12, even a little bit later, 14, 15, and 16, you know, we could just be totally out of it. But we want to just kind of maintain and then, and then shoot up. I mean, I just told you that Pops was 13 and 12 after week five. And then he went on a couple runs and he ended up at the top. So, you know, it can it can happen. But we, we got to... Trust the process, trust the collective, and go with our guns. Consensus picks a bounce back across uh, the Super Contest, looking at it now. Uh, the top five consensus picks were three and two this week. A lot of square sides, as Mo said. Mo, is Vegas still standing? You're the closest. Omaha's about 30 minutes from Las Vegas, if I recall correctly. Is Las Vegas still standing at this time? I think... They lost at least one building this weekend. <laughs> I mean that now now with what Donnie said, but with that being said, Brett may have a point at least uh so far if you take a look at the bottom 10. Uh check that out and know that last week the bottom 10 went looks like 7 no, 6 3 and 1. And this week the bottom ten went seven two and one, I believe, in terms of the least popular picks in the contest. Yeah, well, the Giants didn't do it, okay, bud. Well, if you want to go bottom ten, you know what that means, right? I I put it in the chat every every Monday. Seven and three this week. You know what? You know what it means if we want to go bottom ten. Got to got to break the TNF rules. You gotta break the tea. That's true. That is true. It is the bottom two this week. Always, sure. it's always at the bottom. We need to hop on the Kazbek hot hand and break the TNF rules. Kazbek's always firing TNF because he's a legend. Shout out Kazbek, our, our number one mass hole fan on the podcast and an, an OG fan. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with Donnie. I think we just need to stay the course um, and just keep rolling out winners. I also don't think that. We should stop being sharp, if that makes any sense. We we always joke in our chat, we too sharp for own good, you know? How how sharp is too sharp? And I was I was even thinking today, like, 
is home field really worth three points? Like, is is the six point swing that we're doing when uh, a team is let's say plus two and a half, and we're we're applying it if in if in a theoretical world they're playing their opponent at their home stadium? Like, are are we doing that math correctly? And I just kind of like shook my head. I was like, Rich, it's two fucking weeks of the season. Like things things are gonna straighten out. It's we're not gonna be in this rut the entire season. I'm confident. I totally I think, agree. Um, I think I think at least when I cap some games, it's it's not always a, a hard three point home field advantage. Sometimes it's two and a half. Honestly, sometimes it's three and a half. Like for example, the Chiefs to me kind of lean towards a three and a half point home favorite, whereas some teams are just you know it's a, kind of a joke and it's it's more like a two or two and a half. But uh, but you know it's generally in that range of an average of three points. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, I think the biggest adjustment for me is just uh, I needed to just trust my eyeballs in week one and just. But it's hard because you don't want to overreact to to what you see in one week, as Brett was saying. But uh, like when I saw the Chargers, for example, I was like, okay, this team is putrid on the line of scrimmage, and sure enough, you know. They come dolphins. out, get run on by the Dolphins. Yeah, and just, I think, and and the Giants, they looked absolutely horrific. And sure enough, they are absolutely horrific. So let's go through with uh, the games that we had selected. And then, Donnie, I'll give you the floor to, to bitch and complain at Mo and I. Uh, myself particularly for putting the Saints in the card. Go ahead. Uh, ship me the Belichick blinders. What, what do you got for me? I mean, the Patriots were going to bounce back. I tried to tell you that. The Patriots bouncing back. I mean, you guys, both of you guys, most specifically, you made fun of me when I said you can't get something right, you know, a competition or a competitiveness thing uh, within 10 days. But they did. They got it right. They were playing a horrible Saints team. The Saints are so bad. I mean, they, they were going to go down there. They were going to get it right, and they did, and they looked much like the Patriots. Now, I'm not going to say that it was a great win because it was against the New Orleans Saints. So, you know, it's not just like everything's perfect, everything's rainbows, and we're just going to roll into next week and blow doors. No, that's not how it's going to happen. Um, so, we, you know, like someone like myself who is a big Patriots fan, I can't look at this and say, oh, it's the Patriots of old. It looks like 2007. No, that's not how it is. need to temper myself a little bit. But, Rich, you are an idiot for putting the, the Saints on the card. That was horrible. But I'm equally as bad for putting the Giants on the card. So, I guess we're even, uh, you know. But, I mean, you went against my team. What are you going to do? Just need no field goal football man yeah like, rich this is you know, on, this is rule of we needed we needed sean payton's number we needed to text sean payton and have him be like we're not really going to try to win this game we're going to kick field goals and uh not go for fourth down when we're down two touchdowns it's just brutal uh, and just so many spots in the game where uh, if we just get a friendly bounce one way or another the game looks entirely different but alas we we, we don't, and, you know, Ted Ginn can't turn and react to a ball, and I don't know. I, I, I still kind of like the side. Uh, I'm not surprised that the Patriots came out and were gangbusters, but at the same time, I, I wasn't impressed by the Patriots' defense. I think they're going to be a bit of a sieve this season, and it's a bit shocking that a Drew Brees-led offense was unable to take advantage of that. Maybe, maybe that says something more about the Saints. I mean, 
if the Saints offense can't be high octane and can't put 30 points up against that Patriots team, then they're in for some real trouble, giving how poor the defensive side of the ball is in New Orleans. So I think that's something to keep in mind with games against the Falcons, Panthers, Buccaneers coming up. I mean, the Saints, that which the under I touted preseason before switching to the Lions like an idiot, uh, the Saints might just be a truly, a truly dreadful team. Uh, well, it's it's almost like they've never seen Ted Ginn play. <laughs> yeah, like they didn't expect the horrific drops. I mean, he's bad. He's really bad. There's a reason why he's been on five or six different NFL yeah. teams. I can't the only believe. thing he can do is run past people and catch bombs. That's I, the only thing he can do. I can't believe that guy was a top ten pick. How I mean, how bad are the Dolphins? I, like, how do you take that guy in the top ten? I don't, I don't understand it. But going back to your point, Rich, I mean, you see it across the NFL. I mean, you brought up the whole the Saints were kicking field goals and not playing aggressive, but. You, I mean, you saw it tonight in, in the Monday night game uh, with the Giants not playing aggressive. I mean, these coaches, they don't really play aggressive, and it really can bite them in the foot. I don't know why so many NFL coaches are playing to lose, whether it's kicking field goals when they should be going for it and trying to score touchdowns, whether it's not going for it on fourth down and punting the ball away, whether it's running the ball on first or second down or just running the ball in general when they should be passing more and being attacking more. It just Coaches in the NFL today are so passive and so just timid with everything. They need to just just let their players fly. And if, if you lose, you lose. I mean, especially when you're down, there's negative game scripts, you're down by 10, uh, 14 points, stuff like that. You got to go for it and go for the win and stop trying to, you know, get within a certain amount of points and hopefully have a shot at the end of the game. No, play to win much earlier than these coaches do. Patriots' fault. They made, the Patriots made dinking and dunking cool. And so every team wants to replicate that and try to do it better when, unfortunately, they don't have the personnel nor do they have the coaching in order to succeed. Let's let's go positive here for a second. And I'm upset that Burt Minotti, the god, is not on the podcast. He's fast asleep up in Buffalo, New York. But how about the sharpest dick in the West taking the Colts plus the seven at home? Not only were they inside the number the entire game, they should have won outright, save for some defensive lapses at the end of the fourth quarter. Mo, as the moose, as the man who shepherded, who was who shepherded Bert Minotti to where he is today, how proud are you of the disciple for this sharp pick? That was such a fantastic pick. I mean, you watched that game, and you know. I didn't watch like every snap or whatever, but I watched a decent amount of it and it was clear from start to finish that that was just 100% the right side. DP, what do you what are your thoughts on the Colts? Your your boy Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, Jacoby my boy Jacoby Brissett. Uh, I had Colts money line uh, at, that was in Vegas this weekend. I put oh, a little yeah. bet, I put a little bet in on the Colts money line. Was feeling good throughout the game. But then at the end, I mean, listen, Jacoby Brissett, he was, there's a reason he was a third stringer in New England. I mean, he, he, he overtook Scott Tolzien in Indianapolis, which is, which is no, you know, leaps and bounds by any means. I mean, whatever. He's, he's in there. He's just trying to just be a patchwork quarterback for now while Andrew Luck goes through his injury thing. But what, 
at the end of the game, when Chuck Pagano, what was it? Did he didn't he throw it on third down when he should have ran the ball, which and it was an incomplete pass, which caused the clock to stop, which then allowed Arizona to get the ball back with time left and allow them to drive down the field. And instead, if they would have ran the ball, Arizona would have had to use their last timeout, but they get to keep that last timeout because Chuck Pagano has absolutely no clue what he is doing out there. Every single week, this guy. It's amazing that he has a job. It's amazing that he got extended. It's just it's unbelievable. Yeah, the, the Colts organization is a, a complete clusterfuck, dumpster fire. It's funny that B.A. is on the other sideline. B.A., of course. The only time the Colts have been good during the Andrew Luck era is when Pagano was sidelined with illness, and B.A., who is sharp AF, was leading the troops, and then subsequently was hired by the Cardinals to be their head coach. A, a brutal loss for the Colts. Uh, I, I think the Cardinals, uh, we might have some great value betting against them moving forward because I think it's still early enough where they have some sort of mystique on them where they're the Cardinals of old. But watching that game, watching the play on both sides of the ball, even that BA-led defense, which is normally swarming and dangerous and forcing turnovers, they're so milk toast. So I, I think there's certainly going to be value in targeting the Cardinals uh, as long as public perception is is on their side, Cardinals are done. They don't have a quarterback, and what what do they have? They drafted a quarterback in recent years. I mean, what what is Carson Palmer's not getting any younger, and he's clearly done. The guy has no clue. There's no one that is more of a statue back there in the pocket than Carson Palmer. It is unreal. You know who the Cardinals backup is nowadays? I have no clue. Blaine it's not Drew Stanton anymore. Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbard. I mean, the Cardinals are toast. I mean, I, I, I know I kind of feel bad for Bruce Arians. I mean, he, I feel like he, he has the mind, at least the capabilities, to be able to get over the hump and be that next best coach in the league. You know, the definitive next best coach in the league. But I mean, I just feel like his personnel lets him down. And you know, it starts with the quarterback, and the quarterback is absolutely done. Yeah. I mean, you think about the window that they had. They ran into a Carolina buzzsaw that ripped them apart in Charlotte in the NFC Championship game. And then uh, the following year, uh, they get Hail Mary moosed by Rodgers. It's just totally gross. Uh, And then last year, of course, the Carson Palmer injury. Uh, They get the late David Johnson injury in the season. They don't really have any shots. So that three-year window just kind of gets erased by circumstance and that's kind of how the NFL works. You have short windows and then you got to turn it around quickly and they'll have to do that as they move on from the Carson Palmer error. All right, let's keep it at one o'clock on Sunday in a game where it started off as a slugfest. We, we knew what the Jaguars defense was capable of doing and they did a great job. They held the Titans to six points in the first half. But Blake Bortles and company never really got things going. And then in the second half, it was just Bortles service. Classic Blake Bortles. throws a a back-breaking interception in the third quarter. The Titans offense start to break through, and you, you can really only expect that to happen. The defense can only do so much. And this one, it looks like a route on paper. 37-16 to 16 is the final with the Titans winning. But if the Jaguars had any semblance of an offense uh, and any assistance they could have given to their defense, this game would have been 
much closer. I'm still in love with this Jags defense, but man, need a warm body at quarterback. Mo, you 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 sounded like if it's it's a must that they put Henny at quarterback. In fact, when you said it in the chat earlier, I thought it was like it was news. I thought Schefter had tweeted it. No, I mean I don't even see how this is how this is even a question at this point. There's no possible way that Henny could be worse than Blake Bortles because Blake Bortles is the absolute worst. I mean, I mean he has no excuse at this point. The rest of the team is pretty solid. I mean, yeah, the receivers not the greatest, but I they were at least respectable when they had Robinson and he's still not doing anything. He didn't do anything positive last year. It's just it's time for this to end and Bortles needs to become Take his up, take up his next, uh, his own Blaine Gabbert job as somebody's backup because he can't be a starter in this league. And Chad Henney, or like you said, Colin Kaepernick, ASAP. There's oh my no God. possible way he can. Come be on, Shad, Shad Cod, get on the phone with Kaepernick. Jack's defense, they hold Mariota to 250 yards, 15, 215 yards passing, and the only, uh, the only back to get close to 100 in the game was Derrick Henry. He got to 92, but most of that came on late third and fourth quarter runs when the Jags' defense was gassed from being on the field. They did a tremendous yeah, job and in this game. There's only so many 30-yard fields you can defend. Exactly. Uh, just a, a brutal offensive performance. DP, how, where how are you? Do, where? How, I want, hold on a second. How do how – do, I mean, listen, Blake Bortles is going to be Blake Bortles when you let him throw 34 times. I mean, I said it on the DFS podcast last week. At some point – Blake Bortles is going to be Blake Bortles and throw the ball. But how do you go from last week, they had a really great performance, great performance from their defense in week one against the Texans. They went into Houston. Uh, they, they crushed him. But Blake Bortles only attempted to throw the ball 21 times. This time, he goes out and he tries to throw it 34 times without their best wide receiver, Allen Robinson. He's out. He's done. He's done for the year. But you decide to almost double the attempts that he's throwing and basically cut in half uh, the the rushing attempts from Leonard Fournette. That makes no sense to me from a, from a coaching standpoint. I mean, I get it. Towards the end of the game, the game gets away from you. You're losing. You have to throw the ball. But when you're throwing the ball at the beginning, that's what caused you to lose the game because Blake Bortles threw that horrible pick and started throwing a horrible or a bunch of horrible passes. I mean, we're just what are you guys doing? Yeah, it seems like Marone panicked because they couldn't get anything going on the run game. Fournette finishes, as DP said, with only 14 carries, 40 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, they just needed to stay the course, but as soon as the rock started to slip and the snowball started to pile down the mountain, they reverted back to the Jaguars of old and Bortles. I mean, if if they get up to 34 attempts on with Bortles, they're in trouble. <laughs> that, that that 20 line is really as absurd as it sounds in the 2017 NFL. That 20 line has to be the line of demarcation if the the Jags are going to have success. Because I mean, this guy is just can't be trusted. Literally, <laughs> you have to put decisions. him on a pitch count of 25 attempts. Say, yeah. Okay, you hit that. Nope. See you later. Like you're just you're, we're taking you out of the game. We're just handing the ball off. He's basically a New York Mets pitcher. You know. If he throws any more than a certain amount, it's going to be an absolute disaster. We'll keep it positive one more time before we get to Monday Night Football. This was a collective pick, the collective 2-0 and so far, uh, and this was a drubbing. I mean, the, great job. I, I'm proud of us for this, for this pick. I, I'm upset at myself for having it the lowest, 
Broncos plus two and a half at home to the Cowboys. Uh, DP, I'll let you take this one because you hate Dak Prescott. I mean, he he looked not just below average, but he looked horrific against this Denver defense at mile high. Well, I feel like I feel like Dak Prescott goes with how Ezekiel Elliott and the Cowboys' run game goes. If they're uh, you know chugging on all cylinders then Dak is going to be able to pass a lot easier because the opposing defense is going to just key in on the run, and you can't blame them when you have that offensive line that Dallas has and the absolute truck of a running back that is Ezekiel Elliott. But Zeke in the running game couldn't get anything going. They looked horrible out there. Uh, you know. And then, obviously, when, when Dak tries to pass, he, he couldn't do anything. But you know, I will say that uh, some of—I some of, you know, I don't think Dak is that good. I think he's, he's average at best. Um, but I will say that uh, while Dez did have some good catches, he should have caught a, little, a couple more balls than than you know than he did in the end, and uh, that could have possibly turned things around. I mean, I just think that you know I said it earlier. I think that uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are like a three and a half point uh, you know uh, favorite when they when they're at home. Uh, Denver's the same way. Going into Denver, going into Mile High, it's a different environment. You know, I just didn't think that this Dallas team going in there as road favorites. I mean, come on, that that seemed. Like a really, really good spot to, to be on the other side, to be on the Broncos as home dogs, and it, it turned out to be. I mean, they blew doors. They absolutely kicked the crap out of the Cowboys. Two touchdowns for the lead receiver in Denver. Your boy, Mo, Manny Sanders. How much better at football is Manny Sanders than DT? Man, I'm still in shock. <clears throat> Week one, that announcer was like, oh, man, drop from Demarius. You never see that. That's weekly. <laughs> yeah, pull the pull the Skype chat transcript because we yeah. go off on Demar- Demarius every single week. Yeah, and Manny just goes out there and shits. He's, you know, Manny. If you squint hard enough, like you could see Antonio Brown in that dude. I, I that might sound real blasphemous to some people, but like Manny is really good at football. And his skill set is similar, too. No, I think he's great. Isn't that? I mean, I always thought that that was kind of one of the reasons why he left Pittsburgh is because they figured, well, we have one guy just like that. We can't, you know, having two of them seems a little bit weird, so we can, you know, one can go. Yeah, they had Brown on his rookie contract, and they just didn't want to pay Manny, so Manny went off to Denver. Uh, They're a really interesting team. I was actually impressed with Simeon as well, and I think I knew last night watching that game that we were pretty much fucked on Monday night because that Dallas defense yeah, is Yeah, the Cowboys not, are bad. That Dallas defense is not very good. And if the Giants couldn't even look like a professional offense against them, what are they going to look like against Detroit at home? Detroit has some guys that have a pulse. You know, Darius Slay is a beast in the secondary. Ansa yeah, is a monster. Gerard Davis is good. But I knew instantly watching Simeon shred them that we were pretty fucked for Monday night. And yeah, I don't know. I think I still think this Lions defense looks like a fade to me. These guys are bad. Yeah, they, they weren't. Just, the very... G's just couldn't execute. I mean, wide open players and just piss poor blocking on the line. Yeah, Flowers. I mean, how can you just leave that dude on an island at left tackle? It's insane. There needs to be help every play for that guy. DP, I'll, I'll let you – we're on Giants' lines right now. Giants lose outright. 
unfortunately on Monday night, you said OBJ didn't matter and he wasn't really a factor in this game. So perhaps you were right. Uh, yeah, what, that was a good call. What did you take away from Giants Lions? The Giants are abysmal. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly, I thought that they were going to, you know, you know, Eli Manning, listen, I get it. I think he's a joke, but he does have his really good games. He does have his absolutely horrible games, but he's up and down, all this sort of crap. You know, I just thought that the parody in the NFL would shine here. The Giants coming home. We know the Lions do this every single year. They look really good. Everyone's like, oh my God, the Lions, they're going to win the division. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to make a run. This is the year. And then they turn out to be the Detroit Lions that they always are, and they just suck. And I kind of figured, okay, you know, stock is really high on, on the Lions. But we know, what do we know? We know that the Cardinals are absolutely horrible. Like, we saw that. That was a joke. So they beat up on a really bad team. To me, it kind of felt like, okay, we just watched the Rams beat up on the Colts, but we didn't really put a ton of stock in the Rams because we knew that they're still the Rams and they only beat the Colts. I kind of had that same sort of mentality with the Lions here, and I figured, you know, the Giants going home, they'll get it together, right? They'll they'll get it together enough to be able to beat uh, a Lions team who, you know, I— I didn't really think that their defense was that good. I feel like even if OBJ didn't have that good of a game, I mean, they do have a lot of weapons, um, but I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know if Eli's just horrible. I don't know if uh, the offensive line is just a joke. I think that that's true. I think that Eli is bad. I think that McAdoo as a head coach is just absolutely horrible. I have no idea what that guy's doing. I mean, he looks, when they show him on TV, I've never seen a coach look more clueless. I mean, he just looks so out of place. Like, what is this guy doing? Why does he have a headset on? Why is he holding a play sheet? It's it. The whole thing was just an absolute disaster. I'm sorry, guys. I am absolutely sorry. That one's on me. This this goes back to like last year when when Mo got on us for picking the Giants as favorites at one point. That I apologize. We are not going to do that crap again. <laughs> it was week two as well, ironically enough. Uh, looking at my Twitter timeline right now, we're recording this right at the end of Monday Night Football, and Ben McAdoo was asked about the delay of game penalty that the Giants took before kicking uh, the field goal to make it 17-10, I believe. And his response was simply, sloppy quarterback play. (laughs) It's just, it's such a brutal response from a guy that, I mean, if you coached a good game and you have a great game plan and you're a terrific coach, then maybe, maybe you can get away with saying that. But to be... Mac a dumbass, and I don't even think Eli's that great, but to throw Eli under the bus like that, like, like get fucked, McAdoo. That's fucked up. So we'll take a second and look at the next week's lines in a bit. But first, while Brett is not here, he pre-recorded some fantasy tips that you can take from week two and hopefully apply moving forward. So I'll give the floor to Bert Minotti, the god. Hey guys, Brett here to give you three fantasy football takeaways from week two of the NFL season. Number one, it might be time to start buying some of this Indianapolis Colts offense in season-long leagues. Indy has been an absolute train wreck offensively through the first two weeks. The Colts ranked 28th in total yards per game, and the key position players who actually had fantasy value coming into the season, T.Y. Hilton and Dante Moncrief, have put up stinkers in each of the first two weeks. Hilton only seven catches on 12 targets thus far, and Moncrief three catches on 12, on 10 targets, and neither has found the end zone. Andrew Luck's return is still weeks away, but now might be the time to start considering buying low on Hilton, especially if your team is off to a strong start and you have the depth to get by without a top-tier wideout for a few weeks. I fully expect Andrew Luck to return midseason, and Hilton is a wide receiver one in fantasy when Luck is tossing him the football. I think the reward outweighs the risk 
in trading for T.Y. Hilton right now. He's a great buy low candidate here in week three. Number two, Derrick Henry is miles better than DeMarco Murray at running with the football. I've been saying this for more than a year now. If you have two functioning eyeballs, you certainly must see the same. And now that Murray is dealing with a hamstring injury, it could be Henry taking the majority of the touches going forward. I think we see a shift that will stick through the rest of the season here. So trading for Derrick Henry, if you don't already have him, have him might be uh, advisable. He could be a player that just wins you a fantasy football title late in the season, especially with the Titans facing the 49ers and Arizona Cardinals in Week 14 and Week 15. Number three, Richard Higgins is now a thing in Cleveland. This kid was a value monster at wide receiver at Colorado State in college, and now it appears he's found a home with the Browns in the NFL. Higgins played 54-71 snaps in Week 2, 12 more than Kenny Britt, and he hauled in 7 of his 11 targets for 94 yards. Now with Corey Coleman out several weeks with a broken finger, it could be Higgins seeing an increase in targets with the Browns playing in a lot of negative game script. He is a must-add in season-long leagues, and don't be afraid to spend some of your fab dollars on him either, especially if you are lacking depth at wide receiver. And we are back. Thank you, Brett, for those tips. If you want to follow him on Twitter or send him any questions, he's, I mean, he's just the fan. He's the goat of all things. At Brett Coulson, C-O-L-L-S-O-N. Before we get out of here, let's look ahead briefly to week three. Unless, DP, you have any more trends. You, you busted out all those super contest trends. You said you did some prep. Is there anything else that, uh, that you'd like to enlighten us on? Uh, no, just, uh, I guess, quickly um, looking back on uh, – or looking to last year's winner, uh, Damon Graham, he is uh, he's four and six on both of his cards this year. He went one and four on both of his cards uh, this week after going three and two on both of them last week. So I just wanted to update you on where where Damon Graham is this year. So he's four and six, but as I said earlier, he could still make a run and get right back in it. So you know the thing is definitely not over. Is he doing anything weird? Are there any opposite picks going on? Anything to report? Uh, no, he's doing the same sort of thing, it looks like, that he, that he did last year, where he has three or four picks are the same on both cards, and then one or two of them will be different. So it's pretty much whatever's going to happen on one card is going to likely be what happens on the other card. Um, and so far, he's gone three and two on both cards in week one, one and four on both cards in week two. All right, let's briefly look ahead to, uh, to week three and beyond. Uh, Mo, is there, there anything you've learned over the last two weeks from any of these particular teams? You talked about trusting your eyes earlier. Is there anything that you saw this week that you think can be directly applied moving forward that you, that you believe strong, that you have a strong enough belief in that it's going to change the way you cap a certain team? Well, I will say, you know, the Browns showed me they are definitely going to be reasonably competitive this year. Uh, they went into a brutal situation, and yeah, they didn't cover, but they also didn't really get the doors blown off. They were within reach of covering basically the whole game. Just a couple of fairly large mistakes. A big turnover by Kaiser really cost them, but that's the type of thing you can clean up down the road. Um you know, I would also say, yeah, it, the Cardinals are really, really, really bad. Like, this team is really bad. And, and yeah, I still don't believe in this Lions defense. And 
another thing I think that you really need to pay attention to, and I'm just going to say, you know, I was wrong possibly here, is the Chiefs might be pretty good. This offense looks a lot better than I expected. If the Chiefs are going to come out, if Andy Reid is coming out and throwing deep, coming when the Chiefs souls? are yeah, nursing a, a, a seven-point lead late and he's throwing 40-yard bombs down the field, I mean, maybe something happened. Maybe somebody got in his ear and was like, look, this is this is correct. Like, you need to occasionally be actually aggressive in these spots. And, like, if the Chiefs are going to be aggressive, that could change. that could change a lot for this team. I love what I've seen from the Chiefs thus far. This game was a little ugly. I think they were fortunate to get that cover. I mean, they were up two touchdowns, though. But uh, it was a very sloppy game, and, and Wentz made some crucial mistakes, which, which he's wont to do. But I, I think the, the Chiefs are, are certainly a team – uh, to be reckoned with. And and back to the Browns real quick. If if people weren't watching or paying close enough attention, they played a good chunk of that game with something Hogan at quarterback because Kaiser was suffering migraines. And to your point, Mo, they didn't totally collapse. Like normally when the something Hogans of the world come into the game, the random rookies that really have no fucking clue what they're doing on a professional football field, that's when the collapse happens and – and although the Ravens did cover the eight, um, the Browns played really well, and their defense has been uh, the most impressive side of the ball for me thus far. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, another one, I, I guess, would, would be the Broncos. This team has really impressed me. I Their run defense has been a lot better than I expected, and Simeon's actually playing good. Like, he's scrambling for first downs and making fairly accurate throws more often than not. He definitely doesn't make the terrible mistake either. At least I haven't seen it thus far, which is so important. I mean, that's what made Dak so valuable last year is that he just doesn't make the bad mistake, which is is. But that can go both ways in the fact that it might not. That might be what holds him back from being able to win a game that he needs to win. For sure, there's definitely uh, that's definitely a valid point, uh, and it might be a situation where. When the Broncos are dogs against a team that can push the tempo a little bit, it might be dangerous to take Simeon in case we need a backdoor cover, to your point. I don't know if he's really got it in him. But when they're playing some of these mediocre or bottom-tier teams, especially teams with horrific offenses, uh, (laughs) Denver's just going to choke the life out of them on that side of the ball. And that's when you can just ride Simeon as a mediocre player to get a cover. Uh, and I, I mean, we saw what the Broncos did with, I mean, the defense is older now and they're not as good as they were, but we saw what they did when they went on to win the Super Bowl with the corpse of Peyton Manning out there. And Simeon's a lot like Alex Smith to me, but given that defense and if they can get the home field advantage that they would need throughout the playoffs, I mean, they could make a deep run. We've seen it before with, with quarterbacks that aren't the best of the best that, that can go on to win Super Bowls because of the defensive side of the ball. What about you, DP? Any teams that have surprised you that are going to change your immediate capping going forward? Uh, I got to keep an eye on the Raiders. I mean, I was I was low on them going into the season, but they've done really well in these first two games. So, you know, I'm not sure I'm exactly ready to just flip a 180 and, and buy back in. Um, so I'm going to keep an eye on them. Um, 
hat tip to the Browns. They're a road favorite uh, to open up this week. I don't. I, I can't even remember the last time that that's happened. Road favorites. Uh, Cleveland Browns road favorites. Oh, yeah. I think I saw that was the first time since, like, 2011 or 2012. Crazy. Um, the... the the Seattle Seahawks, man, I, this offense is yeah. They might be bad. Horrible. They might just I be mean, bad. Might be bad. I mean, they're so bad. I don't. I feel. I feel like Russell West, or Russell Wilson is running around back there, just just trying to save his own life. I mean, thank God that guy has legs and can be mobile because that offensive line is horrible. His receivers can't get open. Jimmy Graham looks like he hasn't done anything. Then he got hurt last week. I mean, I just. I really don't know what to expect out of that team other than I just I just don't know if they have what it takes to to really make it other than that I feel like there's I feel like there's a lot of a team's going to be good one week a team's going to be bad the next week and I feel like we're going to see a ton of that uh this year so I mean we'll see what happens I mean we've only had seen two weeks uh play out so I, I think I need another week or two to really feel solid on all my plays but you know the Raiders are definitely going to be someone I'm looking out for like you guys said the Chiefs as well um, they, they could just be the real deal, so we'll see. Yeah, oscillating performances is the norm in the NFL, and I think the Niners-Seahawks game is interesting on both sides of the ball because I think it kind of solidified the fact that the Hawks' offense is bad and something to that we should be really worried about. The slow start narrative can only hold true for so long when they— you just can't block. And I know Tom Cable's gotten a lot of credit over the last couple of years for patching together a bunch of athletes and making them into a cohesive offensive line unit. But, man, if, if they can't block a team like the Niners up front, they're going to have some real struggles moving forward throughout the season. And credit to the Niners. The Niners didn't go to the clink in the rain against that suffocating Hawks defense, which I, which I still think is an incredible unit, the Hawks D. And they didn't crumble. You know, they, they played fine. They battled in that game. And Hoyer, Hoyer never made the massive mistake. Carlos Hyde was, uh, I believe, only the fourth running back to cross the century mark in the Pete Carroll era in Seattle. So I think the Niners are a team, especially offensively, that are very interesting. Kyle Shanahan, we know he's sharp as fuck. And they open up this week. And I, I put it in the, the, the Skype chat as uh, as home dogs against a Rams team that I, I still am interested in, but I certainly do not think would be minus 8.5 against the Niners. I think that's a crazy line. But TNF rules, guys, right? Wait. Wait. The Niners are home dogs? I to- I, that's why I, I, I put breaking TNF rules – but I'm, I I kind of knew I was on the wrong side with Cincy this last week, but it is currently uh, Niners plus two and a half, and that is just batshit insane. I mean that's yeah, just I, nuts. They should almost just not even allow people to bet on these Thursday night games because they're <laughs> they, they just. I I honestly I mean I I always kind of feel confident going in, but I honestly have no idea. And just with the short week, the short turnaround, the short time to prepare, rest up, heal up, all that sort of stuff. I just have I have no idea what these teams are going to do on Thursday nights. I honestly have no idea. Mo, is your mind blown that the Rams are yeah. Players? Yeah, we we might need to convene on this one. I'm telling Where's Bert? you. Where's Bert? Put the put the bird signal up. That's an insane 
I will say line. that uh, I think the Seahawks Titans game this week is going to be a really interesting one. Even yeah, if we that's don't, a, that's even a, if we that's don't, that's a crazy one. Even if we don't pick it, just to see how these two teams in particular play out and how what the result is, and I think that this game in particular, the Seahawks are going to Tennessee. Um, how that's, I think it's going to play a big picture uh, going forward for the rest of the season. Yeah, where does the public land on that one? Because the Titans have been a bit of a public darling over the uh, the end of last year and the beginning of this season. Of course, they get a big road cover uh, against the Jags, and the Hawks have just been horrific. I mean, there might be value in this line just because everybody's going to be off Seattle after these two terrible weeks. But their offensive line is so bad. How could you be on them? It's it's an was interesting Tennessee, game. Uh, was Tennessee the top play both weeks? Let me pull it up now. I know they were the uh, the top play this week. 26% of the contest, 704 individuals took them as road favorites, and they were the third most popular pick last week with 30% of the contest laying the 2.5 at home against another public team, the Raiders. So the Titans fail to cover, and they bounce back as the most popular team in the contest, they then get the cover, and now they're going to play at home, short of a field goal favorite. Currently, uh, currently it is two and a half, and they're going to get a team that the public is totally against. So I could see them being a top five consensus pick once again next week. I'd be surprised if they weren't. So, Bert Minotti might go Hawks contrarian, knowing 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 him. But man, that offensive line is uh, is really bad. Um, anything else? Any any forecasts for next week? Any any line peaks from from you, uh, DP? Anything interests you of ne- from next week other than uh, Hawks Titans? No, I mean I think we're going to see a lot of uh, interesting home dogs. I, ha- I haven't looked at any of the lines yet, other than I the the Browns Colts one. After I heard someone say that uh, the Browns were uh, road favorites for the first time in seems like decades, um, but uh, yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, you could see a lot of home dogs here just looking at the the slate of games um, right now. So it could be a very interesting week. I mean, it's hard to go on the road and win as a favorite, let alone uh, cover as a favorite. So uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. What about you, Mo? Any uh, any peaks into to week three? Any games that interest you? I haven't started really looking yet, um, so I'm not. I'm not too sure yet what's what's on tap for next week, but uh, we got London. We can always get weird in London. Yeah, well, you guys did say that, and well, you guys already know. I already posted how I feel about that one. The collective loves London. I, I, I'm pretty sure we had like two or three London games last year. One of them was that epic tie between the the Lions and the Slurs, where we had the Slurs plus, and we uh, we covered on a tie. Oh my gosh, Blake Bortles is going to London. This could be. A disaster. <laughs> Blake Bortles might get lost. They should. They. I mean, they should lose him on purpose. They should just kind of <laughs> drop him in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> we'll certainly be better off. So that's our recap episode. We're a bit down in the dumps. So if you guys want to send some love our way, we'd we'd certainly uh, it would certainly boost our spirits at Gridiron Gamble on Twitter. Later on in the week, we'll give you our DFS plays on Thursday, and we'll come to you with the week three. Super Contest card. We'll also give you an update on the picks. A lot of you guys, I can't even be mad at you guys. You guys submitted your picks late when you knew 
that uh, Sam Bradford was out. So you guys fired Steelers minus five and a half. And I, I can't be mad at you. You guys played the game right. You waited. You took the best information you could possible, and you took advantage of it. I can't even – good job. I'm, I'm going to wrap the table like a poker player. Well played. So we'll give you an update on how many tickets we've given out uh, later in the week as well. Uh, for Burt Minotti, who is currently resting, DP and Mo, I am Rich Ryan. Hope you guys have a nice week. We'll talk to you again on Thursday. Peace. Peace.